Now's a good time to thank our sponsor, Survivors for Solutions. There's a lot of great things about this relationship. Like us, Survivors for Solutions wants to see continued innovation in the pharmaceutical space. They embrace the free market and believe that the free market is the best solution to improve patient lives. It was founded by our close friend CZ or John Swartaki. CZ founded the group when he saw the damage that the Inflation Reduction Act was going to bring to the pharmaceutical ecosystem. He's been a patient, and Eric, I think you'll talk about that in a minute, but he's been a patient for several decades himself, and he wants solutions not just for himself, but for his family and friends and for Americans in the future. And he knows how important it is for continued pharmaceutical innovation to happen here in the United States, because if it doesn't, it won't happen anywhere. Joe, you're right. CZ is a longtime friend of both of ours and a seasoned Washington pro. But what most people don't know is that John Swartaki has also suffered from multiple sclerosis for over 30 years. He was diagnosed and has required four different breakthrough drugs over the course of this disease in order to just live. All these drugs have been developed in a robust ecosystem of medical discovery and delivery an ecosystem that the Inflation Reduction Act and President Biden now threaten. That threatens the hope and security and safety, the liberty, and ultimately the lives of millions of Americans suffering from chronic, debilitating, or life-threatening disease. He formed Survivors for Solutions to help save this system so others like himself have the chance at a fulfilling and robust life. You can learn more about CZ and his lifelong struggle with multiple sclerosis from our March 27th DC EKG interview, plus his website, survivorsforsolutions.org, or on Twitter, at Hope Matters Most. Joe, we're really fortunate CZ is our leader here at DC EKG, and we look forward to advocating on his behalf and the behalf of millions of American patients in the years to come on our show. Welcome back to DC EKG. This is Joe Grogan with Eric Euland. We're joined today by David Sr. from Amerisource Bergen, who has a wealth of knowledge from his many years in the drug distribution and supply business. David's gonna give us a primer on a number of interesting um, drug pricing and distribution issues, including drug shortages. We are part of the Big Wig Media Podcast Network, and we are distributed by our partner, Evergreen. Eric? David, welcome. Thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. You've served for over 20 plus years as a senior exec at America Source Bergen, a Fortune 10 supply chain and pharmaceutical distribution company. Tell us a little bit for our listeners what Amerisource Bergen actually is and does. Yeah, th- thanks, Eric, for the opportunity to be here. Um, yes, it's a it's a name that you stumble over. Um, we're actually changing the name uh, later this later this year to Sencora. You're breaking news for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the the new name is is going to be Sencora, and so we'll we'll be uh, uh, changing the stock symbol within the next couple of months. But uh, we're a Fortune 10 company on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we are one of the largest. Uh, uh, pharmaceutical supply chain companies in the U.S. and in the world. Um, if you think about 
uh, what what we do in terms of uh, one of our major businesses is uh, moving product, money, and information. So we're a wholesale distributor, which means that we're buying product from uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers, uh, you know, many many hundreds, if not thousands, of manufacturers across the uh, the, the spectrum, and selling them to customers. You know, whether it's um, uh, retail pharmacies, hospitals, physician groups, long-term care, and, and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, we operate a, a network of warehouses and ensure that products get to those customers. Uh, we've been a significant uh, supply chain partner for, for the federal government, uh, played a key role uh, during the during the pandemic. And so, um, you know, big company, you know, we touch everyone, touch everything. We see a lot of data and, you know, I've had the pleasure of, of working for the corporation for uh, nearly 24 years. Wow. Thanks for the explanation. I appreciate it. Folks should know that David as well was a management consultant throughout the, the healthcare industry prior to his time at Amerisource Bergen. And he has a degree, an advanced degree, I should say, in economics. Uh, so pretty impressive. So let's talk a little bit about uh, a subject that's in the news a lot. But um, for those of us who've been around the drug industry, it's come up at various points, and that's drug shortages. It seems like there's uh, the perception is that there are a lot of drug shortages occurring right now. Um, you know, cancer drugs and other drugs are in the news bubbling up. Is this hyperbole? Is it anecdotal? Or is there really an increase in drug shortages? You know, I'd say that uh, there is a there has been an increase um, in 2023 from what uh, the drug shortages picture has looked like in the past. Um, but I would emphasize that drug shortages are not new. Uh, you know, this this is something that's uh, been coming for many years. Uh, you know, industry insiders, people who have been focused on it, recognize that you know drug shortages have been. Um, you know, a, a, a situation we've faced as a country and, and globally for, for 20 years. And why is that, David? Well, you know, what happens with, with generic drugs is, you know, they follow a typical economic cycle. You know, the branded product uh, uh, loses its exclusivity, comes off patent. Uh, you know, a number of, whether it's one, two, 10 entrants come into the marketplace, uh, the price drops. Um, sometimes substantially, uh, you know, some of those market entrants drop out because they recognize they can't compete. Uh, price continues to drop. Um, and eventually, you know, there are just uh, quality or plain economic issues that arise and there just aren't enough uh, buffer of, of producers. And so, you know, it's hard for manufacturers to respond. Um, you know, in those situations, there's pressure not to raise price. Uh, reimbursement may be, you know, part of that pressure because, you know, as, as price drops, uh, you know, reimbursement gets set at, the, at those lower levels. And so, you know, it's hard when these shortages take to take place for the market to really re react and respond. And, and if you're a manufacturer, um, you're not sure whether to enter or re-enter a market where that takes place. And so, um, you know, it's it's easy to have the drops and, you know, we all get to benefit and, and uh, benefit from, you know, lower prices in the in the generics market. But it's really hard when it drops too low uh, for a market to be stable. And so, yeah, it, it's a real issue. And, and I think that, um, you know, as we headed into into uh, COVID, um, you yeah, know, there were people talking about this issue. There are people thinking about it in 2019 and, and 
you know, COVID really, you know, uh, created a focus on demand-driven shortages um, as opposed to supply-driven shortages, which have been a you know ongoing phenomenon. So when you, with your economics training and your the lens that you look at this, can you, it, you mentioned there's a pattern. Can you see, is, are there telltale signs? Is it number of entrants starting to shrink that should start to have people looking at a yellow light to say this is an area of concern? Remember when I was at, or is there something else? I remember when I was at FDA, we had this whole issue where um, heparin was getting contaminated with melamine from China. Um, and the, the theory was at the time, we didn't know what was going on. And the theory was that there was a, it was a cost increase because heparin's made from uh, the guts of pigs. It's a very laborious uh, process to dry uh, the, the biological product, you know, the, the intestines from pigs in a very, you know, it looks like a medieval process, for God's sakes, that many of us were unfamiliar with. And then yeah. they were adulterating it for economic reasons with melamine to make the uh, sourcing readings the, um, look as if it was more um, a better product than it actually was. So there was economic adulteration in response to costs. And we were trying to figure out, is there a way to telegraph this for us in the future? A spike in price might lead us to, to a conclusion that there will be adulteration to bring costs down. How do you view it? I mean, are there any telltale signs that policymakers should be looking at to anticipate oncoming shortages? Is it a short-term warning system or is, there, is it a long-term trend? Uh, that's, that's a great question. And, um, you know, what, what's interesting is that there is no, uh, you know, there's no simple fix uh, for, the, for the shortage issue. And, uh, but, but you have, you are hitting upon one of the key aspects of a solution, which is predicting and preventing shortages. Um, you know, we as a, we as a large supply chain uh, party try to do that. Uh, the government is, is working towards that as well. You know, it's, it's key for government as well as, you know, the industry to work together in terms of uh, building, you know, supply chain maps, transparency around, you know, where products come from. I think one of the, one of the and I'll give you an example of, of where it gets tricky, you know, per your, your comment or question. Um, you know, we may look and see that there are four or five finished goods manufacturers. Um, and, you know, we're trying to figure out which one is, you know, the partner who we want to work with uh, in, in the generic space. Um, but, you know, lo and behold, we may not know that all four or five of those um, finished goods manufacturers are all dependent upon the same active pharmaceutical ingredient manufacturer. And so, you know, it, it, to, you're right, there are ways to do it, but um, you have to build, you have to understand the supply chain all the way up. Historically, I we did think about this through the lens that you're talking about, Joe, and, I, you know, we, we thought about it both in terms of number of suppliers, um, you know, to the extent that you don't have enough suppliers, that's, you know, certainly a, a, a warning sign. Uh, you know, the risk of what we've seen is where products have gone on shortage, they, they do repeat themselves um, over time. Although, you know, many, many products have had shortages, whether it's weeks or months or more structurally uh, years. Um, but, you, you know, that, that, you know, mapping that out is really key to, you know, trying to do that. And I think your point about the pricing is interesting because um, you can sort of think about price spikes as, as a symptom of, you know, a, a uh, supply chain that's, that's 
going to have issues, but also when, when prices continue to decline. You know, people don't really think about it that way, that when the price drops too low, that's where there's really these risks. And so, yeah, I, I, I do think there are a number of parameters that can be looked at in terms of economic factors, as well as, um, you know, just understanding who's in the market and, and you know, how things are being produced. So um, within the spectrum of, you know, the, the many things that need to be done to address shortages, one is uh, this supply chain mapping and, you know, providing data uh, and ensuring that, you know, there are government parties, you know, uh, you know, including the FDA understands fully, you know, what, what's going on, uh, but, but, you know, certainly other agencies as well. David, your observation about supply chain mapping seems to indicate backhandedly that there hasn't been good mapping in the past. So it sounds like you and many others across a lot of different industries are involved in trying to address that. One of the things that Joe and I have been talking a lot about with various experts that we spent time with here on the podcast is the role of AI and the promise and potential challenges that machine learning and those sorts of tools could bring to all sorts of public policy and business challenges. Is there a role for AI in addressing potential shortages, uh, thinking about, uh, predicting, trying to ameliorate or head those things off? Is it too early to come to a conclusion about what AI's role might be in addressing some of these challenges around shortages? Uh, you're 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 going above my uh, my level of expertise in terms of how those tools could be used. But you know what I'd say is the short answer is yes. Uh, but but you know predict and prevent is only one aspect of of a solution for shortages. Um, what are other aspects? and you know to the well to the extent everyone knows there's going to be a shortage, then um, you have. Uh, you know what we what we term the toilet paper effect, and you know, frankly, a lot of the that shortages. That frankly, the the a lot of the shortages we see in the marketplace are the toilet paper effect. People sense there's a shortage, and therefore, uh, you know, market participants hoard product. So, so it's, it's a self effect. it's a self inflicted um, shortage. Sure. So toilet paper effect actually is two aspects, right? Those who actually go out and do it because there is a shortage, but those who yeah. anticipate a potential shortage and go out and create the, the shortage. Again, without asking expertise, but if you have a longer runway, courtesy of perhaps AI and other tools, mm -hmm. to anticipate potential challenges, whether it's production, supply, demand, what's going on with those who are consuming healthcare. Um, is it possible that from your vantage point and the company's perspective, finding ways to ensure that you know much earlier and potentially have the ability to head it off or reduce the impact of shortages might be of value for what you do and how you operate in the marketplace? Oh, it, it, Eric, it's absolutely key. And you know, I, I don't want to diminish uh, the importance of supply chain mapping. I, I brought it up as you know probably the most critical thing that can be done. Uh, but you know information is information, and you know in terms of creating a more stable marketplace, you know I think you were starting to ask the question about what else is out there that should be done. And you know we think there's uh, room for advancement in manufacturing, uh, both in terms of utilize, utilizing advanced manufacturing techniques that improve yield, lower costs. Um, and, and, you know, creating a more healthy manufacturing base, uh, geographically dispersed, um, you know, Marisource Bergen's been, uh, you know, outspoken on coalitions about the need for incentives for American made manufacturing, you know, getting the product closer to home is another aspect of, you know, solutions. And then, you know, 
I, I think the last one I guess I would mention, or maybe one of the last things I'd mentioned is, you know, sitting in the supply chain, we see real values to strategies that increase a buffer. You know, it's not stockpiling in the traditional sense of static amounts and product, but, but dynamic with rotations. Um, you know, this can deal with shortages taking place, but it can also stabilize markets. Um, similar to how, I, I guess, you know, the strategic petroleum reserve functions today in terms of stabilizing markets. So, you know, when th think about that toilet paper effect, um, you know, this, this is another aspect of, you know, many of the solutions that can take place. But, you know, there, there's a laundry list of things that, uh, you know, ideas to, to address shortages. And, you know, we just need to get going. And, you know, I think, the, you know, the government is private industry is, you know, we need to be working together in public-private partnerships uh, because there is no single silver bullet that's going to solve this. When you, I want to talk a little bit about the onshoring um, idea, which, you know, a lot of people have been talking about post-COVID, but can you just flesh out a little bit about the strategic petroleum reserve for pharmaceuticals, <laughs> the dynamic stockpiling? So is it for specific drugs that we know we're going to need, or or is it specific drugs that we think are at risk of shortage? Are you stockpiling antibiotics? Are you stockpiling cancer drugs? That at at some point, a, a group of David seniors says, "Holy cow, the price is starting to drop on these drugs." Or we just have it's just gone generic. A shortage of it would be a problem. Let's let's make sure it's going to be a uh, we're going to have a supply. Let's have a. How do you figure out what goes in that dynamic uh, stockpile? Yeah, the, the general focus, um, whether it's us or others, are on what's called essential medicines. So these are life-sustaining uh, uh, drugs. Uh, the challenge is there are many different lists of essential medicines, and so how do you how do you identify exactly the right ones? And you know, we we've got our thoughts about you know which are those products that intersect between being essential medicines and and quote at risk. Uh, but others would come up with their own ideas about what that is. You know, I think I, I, I alluded to strategic petroleum reserve. Um, you know, I did some, you know, thinking about this, you know, in terms of going way back when to you know, the 1970s when we had, um, uh, you know, the, the, the oil crisis and how did we dig ourselves out as a country? And, you know, it was a combination of, of tax incentives to bring uh, production back home as well as uh, creating creating the strategic petroleum reserve. You know, obviously pharmaceuticals are different. Products do expire. You know, to your point, there's many products, not one. You can't just put it in a salt mine in, uh, uh, in, in Louisiana or Texas. You know, you've got to keep it moving. But in terms of stabilizing markets, um, you know, and, and this idea of, uh, you know, A, addressing shortages that take place, but B, you know, making sure that the market, you know, uh, functions as needed. Because, you know, I'll, I'll give the example, you know, we talk about the uh, predict and prevent, you know, predict and prevent is, is a great strategy around supply chain mapping. But when, you know, when a patient needs a product today, and there happens to be a shortage of that product today, you know, how do you, how do you uh, draw upon excess reserves uh, to stabilize that and ensure that that patient gets that product? How close are we as a country to managing uh, a critical reserve, a stockpile like that, or, and or what else do we need to do to help us get to that point? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, there are, 
there are solutions that take place, whether it's our corporation and others who are, who are ensuring that there's buffer of supply, uh, but there is definitely is a role in, in government uh, for uh, creating such a, you know, supply and, you know, comp compensating, you know, the market for carrying the additional inventory. Um, what, what I'd say is that uh, with all of the attention these days on shortages, we would hope that, you know, if there's a if there's a drug shortage package that, that emerges out of Congress, that you know some version of of a you know stockpiling program, dy dynamic stockpiling, would would be part of that solution. So we got to take a break. When we come back to DC EKG, I want to talk to you about the tax incentives that you think might be necessary to get more production here in the United States, and a little bit on the the advanced manufacturing infrastructure that we might need to build in the United States. So we'll be right back with DCEKG.